We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal win, Burnley are sad, Pochettino is a fraud, and Spurs get battered. Nature is healing, my friends. Nature is healing. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, it is starting to feel a little bit like what a football season should feel like. Pochettino getting glares from Lionel Messi. He did get his job saved, I think, by Mauro Cardi. That's probably going to be on our European roundup with, uh, with Phil. Uh, on the Patreon side, so no need to discuss that right now. But, yeah, Spurs got battered. You know, that's fun. Enjoy that. Always enjoy that. And, and you know, I I have had people lately on Twitter when I've sort of tweeted out things, making fun of Spurs and stuff. They're like, oh, we we need to look at ourselves. We're not exactly... Listen, listen. Always enjoy laughing at Spurs. Make sure you can do that. Whatever you do in life, and look, I know I can be a miserable bastard, but whatever you do in life, make sure you can enjoy laughing at Spurs, and I certainly do. Um, So yeah, so that's good. And, oh, by the way, a strong win in the Derby. We are above them going into the next international break. So, you know, it's all to play for, as they say. It is back on, and uh, here to discuss how back on it is with me is Clive. You can find him on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter, Hello, Tim. Hello, now. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter, pause my pants, I'll pause. Woohoo! Full boat today. You know, it's funny. Got a lot of comments from the Instant Reaction Pod. I want to thank Lewis Ambrose for coming on that. People being like, oh, this is a great Instant Reaction Pod. You know, it, it really it really felt great. Really enjoyed it. Like, I don't know what, what the difference is, but there's just something great. I'm like, we won. Like, winning helps all of this stuff. These discussions are a lot more fun when we're winning and the bastards are losing. So, yes, uh, I think we will enjoy the shit out of this. Now, to be fair, there's quite a lot to get into in this game because the funny thing is, I think you could repackage a lot of the analysis from the Norwich game into this game because there was a period at nil-nil where we were kind of held at bay reasonably well. Then at one nil, there was a lot of good attacking football that was disappointing in its in its final move, in the final ball and chances that went begging as a result of it. So, you know, we can sort of get into why some of that happened. I'm sure the uh, dry, long pitch didn't help, although I, I don't think we'll lean too much into that excuse today, hopefully. But the first thing I want to do, 
Tim, the something sort of struck me watching this game when we kicked off as I looked at the line. Something lineup. nearly struck me watching this game as well. <laughs> was it a Coke bottle from the fans? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I assume that that was much ado about nothing, right? We don't need to dive into that too much, do we? I, yeah, I don't think so, no. Okay, good to hear. Because um, I, know, I know the media loves a hooliganism story, but it doesn't sound like it was really that bad. So Not really, no. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm looking at it, and it's Odegaard, Smith-Rowe, Saka, Pepe, Oba, Thomas Party. The back four is the back four. Ramsdale's now the keeper. And, like, one of the things that I think has just been frustrating with Arteta early on in his tenure was just people feeling like, oh, when are we going to settle on a team? When are we get, When's he just going to pick the good players? And, you know, again, not everybody feels the same about everything ever but I know that I sort of had some of that frustration myself. It's starting to feel like he's really narrowed the field. Like he's really started to zero in on who the players are. He wants Aubameyang up there at center forward. You know, whether that's working or not, we can discuss. He knows who, you know, who the sort of exciting talent is in attack, who he needs to deploy to get the most out of them. What is back for is, does this feel the most settled and by extension of that most exciting version of, of the team under Arteta in terms of who he's picking? Yeah, I think so. I think I think it's really noticeable, you know, not even bringing Lacazette on, for example, for the last couple of, couple of games. It almost feels like, you know, some coaches, when they do their halftime team talk, um, even ask for the subs to go away um, for, for some reason or another. A lot of coaches do this. They kind of, you know, they'll let everyone congregate, congregate um, at halftime. They might say a few things, but then like the last minute, sometimes they go, right, subs, every, all the other coaches out, just me and the 11 players. It kind of feels like that. It feels like Arsenal got to a point in the season where they need, well, well, this is my read on it anyway, where Arteta feels he's needed to close ranks and even close ranks within his own team a little bit, which is not to say that I think he's like throwing the likes of Lacazette on the scrap heap or or Leno or or anything like that. I I just I I feel like this is probably a temporary thing. It's just look, we need some results for the next couple of weeks. Doesn't really matter how they come at this stage. That's perhaps got to come, but we know we have to beat Norwich and Burnley by hook or by crook. So yeah, I'm going to focus on my guys, and these are my guys um, by you know by one measure or another, be it because I bought them or because I signed them to new contracts or because I like them. Um, and we need a little bit of cohesion. And and to be fair, when you look at that team for the first three games, which is not to completely um, you know completely um, kind of take away from any deserved criticism, particularly about the manner of those defeats. But the, the team was very, um, very like higgledy, higgledy piggledy. You know, um, mm. there were lots of players not available, particularly through the spine of the team or team uh, players that subsequently became unavailable. And so th- there was quite a lot of upheaval in those opening few weeks before the transfer. Uh, window shut so this kind of feels like I think a fairly temporary um, in the like or or a very fairly short term I think in the medium term we'll see Lacazette start games again I think we'll see Leno on Wednesday night etc etc but I think he just felt for this couple of games right these are my guys I've got no real reason to be that loyal to anyone else to be honest like no one has earned huge loyalty from me on the base of those first three games so I've got every reason to sweep a bit of a new broom through this and say right these are the guys I'm backing draw that line in the sand and like I say like it can't last like that all season because we will need other players but I, I feel that that's very deliberate and and 
quite short term, uh, probably up until the end of this international break. I don't think we'll see a lot of movement in that team for that reason. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I, like, what Paul? Just one of the things that I'm I'm curious about with this is what is happening out of necessity versus what was the plan all along. I mean, look, I'm really I'm really glad that he didn't sort of after those three losses, default back to things that just sort of felt safe. You know, we didn't go back to a a, a th- uh, three four three and you know kind of try to keep it safe at the back after being exposed the way we were and just play long. Like he he leaned into the more attacking players, and I'm wondering, you know, Shaka's suspension was this the mother of invention? Was you know was it always the plan? Is this just a Four three three team now with Odegaard and Smith Rowe. Uh, I, I can't really decide, you know, whether I think that will be the case. The other thing is Thomas Party coming back. So, do you think that there there was sort of a plan here for Party to be at the base of a four three three, but with Odegaard not back yet and Thomas Party not back from injury, he couldn't do it? Is it something that came around as a creative solution with Shaka unavailable? How do you how do you see the evolution into this system, either as the plan or as a reaction to circumstance? Um, I think firstly a reaction to circumstance uh, in the medium and long term, you know, definitely 4-3-3 is part of the plan. What that might have looked like is another matter. Obviously, Chak is out, so that simplifies the decision making and maybe eases it because obviously uh, Chak is probably the least flexible uh, member of our midfield in terms of mobility, in terms of different kinds of positions he can play. He's not a six or an eight, he's a six. And so with party, you've got two sixes, basically, or you use Chaka at the base of, you know, it, it, there's nothing really that says, ooh, um, he's just another building block of whatever flexible midfield we have. So this was an opportunity, but I think the biggest portion of it is that um, when you... Re- read his interviews when you listen to Arteta uh, uh, over the last week or so, it feels like he had a soul-searching come-to-Jesus experience after those three games. It's the most accessible, the most vulnerable in the positive sense of it, uh, interviews I've seen with Arteta. where he's, And he talks about how he read the criticism and he thought about it and he kind of stewed on it and he you know, he's got his family and his friends. So he's really had to go beyond his original framework of how he thought this season was going to go and how he's going to set up for this game and that game. And you combine that with no Chaka, I think he decided to lean into playing uh, the best football with the best players and why not. And, and these fixtures do kind of allow for it. Uh, I guess you could have gone either way on Burnley. He could have been more conservative, but he decided to to play in a way that that was about our football and how we could create. And I think it was like the idea that I just didn't expect Odegaard in a four three three to be the guy on the left. Now there's a logic to it in that he's a left footer, and so it gives him that kind of Chaka option in terms of passing up the wing to Tierney or uh, to Saka dropping into the half yeah. space. Um, looking back on it, it's kind of obvious. Uh, I guess anybody can be a genius after the fact, but only a few of us can be real dummies before the fact. And yeah, I, I work hard at it, to be fair. So I appreciate yeah. you noticing. Thank you. 
So that was certainly a surprise. I, I expected it flipped with uh, Smith Rowe on the left and Odegaard on the right. That just seemed like natural. That's what I expect. So mm. there's, I think there's some invention, some creativity going on here. But I do think it's a mixture of pulling forward your your medium long term plans to the short term. Because fuck it, uh, let's go out fighting. And he may not be going out because he's won two in a row and things are building. And okay, they were a couple of the weaker teams in the league, if not the weakest, but you still got to win them. And he's starting to build something. He's got the new players in so that, you know, he's had a chance to look at them and play them basically immediately. But now he's had a really good look at them. So that pulls your when Tommy Asu works out and Sambi yeah. just maintains it. When all these players maintain or deliver, suddenly you can pull your plans forward. So I do think there's an acceleration here, but I definitely wow. think he had a come to Jesus moment after yeah. the first three games. And maybe this is sort of a reminder then to that point that like, if you have a plan you like, just put it into place, even if you're not ready, and play it into form, so to speak, because it's better than being in the wilderness searching for a system, searching for a way to go. And I think the fans will support more and will have patience more for a group out there that they that they see as the the best group, you know, the group that, that yeah. they want to see. I mean, I, I've referenced it before, but the Brentford game, while it didn't go well, the normal panic you would have expected from that lineup wasn't there just because I think people were very excited by the, the players that were out there. Now, look, you lose with exciting players enough. People stop being excited. So I, I do get that point. Clive, I've, I've saved the meaty um, sort of tactical questions here for you that I'm confused about because I am curious about the Odegaard role. It, I think it's perceived, you know, there is this sort of lazy Martin Odegaard is Mesut Ozil and that's what he's here to do and, you know, sit between the lines and, and play seeing eye passes into forwards for, for endless assists. When in fact, he's sort of dropping in deeper at times being, you know, not a, if not a double pivot, a partner next to party. He's a, he's a pressing trigger, you know, and a lot of this just feels like it's facilitated by Thomas Party, who at points in the first half was dropping into our box to defend and at other points playing those, you know, one touch or second touch progressive passes between the lines. So those two feel really critical to what we're trying to do, but I'm not sure I've necessarily worked out exactly what their pairing is. As, as Paul said, it's sort of an unexpected role for Odegaard. And I think the partnership he's striking up with party is encouraging. So can you maybe help me or, or anyone else listening who wants to be enlightened sort of understand the dynamic in midfield, because that I think is really interesting and maybe gives us a little window into what might happen when Shaq is available again, which, oh, by the way, of course he's available again for the North London Derby. Like, of course, Arteta will have to make that decision in that game after settling on this system. So we'll get on to that later. But yeah, what, what is happening in midfield? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I saw, I saw That's a good answer. Game. I like it. Start. <laughs> Yeah, I listened to you, you saying it's a four-three-three. I, I didn't feel it really. Um, I, I, yeah, I agree. It, it's I because of what Odegaard is doing. <laughs> yeah. Didn't feel it, and what Smith Rowe's doing. Smith Rowe did mm. mostly what he always does. He worked back into inside, but he he popped up on the right hand side a lot. Sometimes he was the furthest out on the right hand side. So he was at a classic four-three-three. Um, He's probably closer to a four-one-four-one. And at times it was a four-two-three-one, and I think it's this is the key bit, right? So always, always remember who you're playing. So Burnley like to go um, long on occasion, you know that they they do pass it around. They don't like to stay there; they like to switch it, switch it in, and go from there and get up behind it. And so when you win the first ball, it's really key. You have the second ball, but what's really important 
is your ability to control and manipulate the ball. Our two most secure players in possession, all different angles, day and night, people running at them with flick knives, doesn't matter, party and Odegaard. And they sat deepest because when we win it, they can then keep it and then we can progress out the field. Saka was inside a lot more, Smith-Rowe was inside and out, but then you want to get those passes to the escape parties and then go through the field. And I thought Odegaard really played a Shaka role, apart from he didn't cover left-back job. He was at the base of our team, popping it, moving it, getting up behind it, getting it back, switching it out. So I saw him as a true eight on the angle, on the left-hand side, rather than a one of two eights, if you see what I mean, or, or a ten higher up. And he flipped higher up when um, party went off and the Conger and um, Maitland-Niles came on. He flipped into more traditional 10 roll higher, dropping in to receive it when Lukonga and Maitland-Niles had the ball. So I thought he was the, the master of this game. He was a tactical genius in this game. He ran this game for me. Mm. Um, he completely ran the game. And and I thought it was interesting watching him and Party play good players just to just. So I thought the manager was fantastic in this game. What he did with Party dropping in between the centre-backs to have a third man jumping so they all had their zones to cover. So they weren't on the stretch. They could just go and attack the ball knowing that two would cover around. Really good. If he went at Tom Yassi, same thing. Pistons, cover around, attack it. Attack it with aggression. Try to nick in front. Don't let him post up and get it down and then create ways. And this is Burnley's trick is not the first ball. It's the second and third ball. It's how they create waves and they stress you and they keep the ball in the area and then they put it straight back in before you had a chance to set your feet and get your body shape right to clear it. And I thought we did really well on adjusting ourselves on the second and third efforts if we didn't quite retain it on, on the way out. And, and I think the midfield played a big part in that, a big part in that. And I, so I don't see it as a, a classic 4-3-3. I am pleased... If you think about last year's game, I'm not sure Tim was there, he probably was. We struggled at the base of our midfield. I don't think anybody was at last year's game. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I forget. Um, <laughs> you know, COVID, yeah. that, that little thing. <laughs> yeah, sorry, mate. But I watched it today, I didn't even see the crowd. And um, and I wanted to see how it was, how it felt last year. Um, when you're watching the ball come out from Ramsdale into, uh, sorry, from um, Leno into Shaka, scary stuff, mate. Scary stuff in hindsight. And to watch the the unity and certainty of Ramsdale into Partio or into Odegaard or into Ben White, into anybody, and the support and the direction the keeper gave, I felt so different about this team. And I think yeah. support is the key word. Support line running and support to the man in possession. It was helpful. If I take away one thing from this game, forget the system. It didn't really matter. Wherever somebody wasn't, somebody covered. When somebody had the ball, somebody supported them. When in difficult situations, somebody made sure they were available. And if they were in a, in a bit of a cul-de-sac, they pointed the way out. And I thought, man, this has got something going on here. This has got something going on. There's a team developing here. And I liked it. I really did. And mm. But Odegaard, midfield, base, get on it, move it, technically secure. At the base of our midfield, I loved it. Loved it. Yeah, I mean, if, if you get a chance, go look at some heat maps in this game because I think, you know, they're not always helpful. Sometimes it, they can give you a misleading idea of players swap, middle of the game, stuff like that. But, like, I think in this game they are instructive. Uh, I, I use the SofaScore app to look at it, but, you know, wherever you find it. And you look at Thomas Party and Martin Odegaard, 
And their heat maps are very similar. I mean, they both spent a lot of time deep receiving the ball off center backs, receiving the ball off keeper, being sort of at, at the base. Smith, Rowe, and Pepe, and Tierney and Saka are really the four behind Aubameyang. And so it, it is sort of that three, two, four, one. Did I get the right number of players there? Is that even, is that even 11 players? Um, because you, you look at it, and Pepe, is, his heat map is the right touch line. Smith Rose is the right half space in the attacking third. Saka's is the left half space in the attacking third, and Tierney's is the left touch line. And so it's Odegaard and Thomas Party behind that, and Aubameyang sort of running around in front of those guys. Just creating that is, box. Just creating yeah, that box. It, it's yeah. creating that box, absolutely. And, and I think that it really does seem to work, but what's so interesting is a big question I had about Odegaard was, does he have the end product to really be the player that unlocks our attack? And the irony is, well, yes, in this game he scores a brilliant goal. But that's not really the role he's given. He is much more of a facilitator in this system. And I'm curious if it'll stay like that when Shaq is back or if he will move back into more of that traditional right-sided number 10, you know, 10 and a half, whatever you want to call it. And and that'll be an interesting progression to look at. But Tim, the the goal, first of all, just real quick on the goal, there's not much to say about just a sweetly struck, beautifully struck free kick. It's ironic because it comes from yet another movement. We'll get to this in a moment where it could have been a goal from open play. Saka maybe one step late releasing it to Pepe in space, but does get the, the foul on him, and then Odegaard sticks it away. I'm not sure where you were seated, but did you have a good view of that one? Yeah, I was behind the goal at the other end, but still had a decent view of it enough to, you know, um, people will be familiar with this inside stadiums, but when it when my mate next to me just went, as soon as he hit it, just went, oh, that's in. And uh, I think everyone recognises that moment when you you just know it's going to go in and you go, yep, yep, that's going in. Yeah, uh, beautiful strike. J- just um, just quickly on your, your point about where Odegaard played, I, I think it's really interesting because if you look at the still of Thomas Partey's pass, brilliant pass in the build-up to the goal against Norwich, and you look at where Odegaard's standing, like Odegaard's standing like parallel to him, basically, yep. and, and he draws those two Norwich players out and creates... I mean, I say creates the space for the pass. It's still, it's still like, um, still like French lawn bowls, um, getting that pass right. But he, he's definitely the one that drops deeper, and and I, I did think that was really interesting as well. Yeah, and I mean, again, I hate constantly repeating the same stuff, but you know, he Arteta did say in the game before in the uh, press conference before Norwich that Odegaard can drop into those pockets next to, um. Party when he was asked if it would be Party and Lakanga as a midfield partnership, he was saying, you know, Martin and Emil actually also can do that as well, and it has definitely been much more uh, Odegaard's role to do it. And so, I think, well, one of the things then that that I do just want to ask you about a little bit is the the failure to execute the attacking moves and and maybe the rough day that Saka and Smith Rowe had. So, you know, I think there's a lot of positive of this, and it's great to get the win and and, and all that. I think the the concerns you'd pull out of the Norwich and Burnley games are not getting that last ball right the way we need to. Now, the good news is that we're creating dangerous moves where that last ball is on. The next step is get it right. And I know, again, you know, the pitch was probably left a little long, a little dry. It makes it a little bit harder. But how do you feel about the day that Sack and Smith Rowe had? Because I think, again, another game that could have been made a lot easier if passes were played on time into players who were available. I mean, Sack obviously had that really heavy touch center of the box when I think it was Pepe had rolled it to him. I think mm-hmm. it was Pepe anyway. And Pepe rolled another one to Smith Rowe that he hits wide of the mark. There were some available passes that were on where the wrong decision was made or the ball was played late. So, 
I know that's sort of the last thing for young players to come. Do you have thoughts on on their performance in particular, Sack and Smith Rowe? Because they're the two sort of ahead of Odegaard now and 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 Party, who have the chances to pick that final ball and and create that that goal from open play that we're still sort of missing. Yeah, and and this is um, this is where perhaps there's a little bit of pressure um, on both of them. They're both first team players now. They've both got you know uh, seven and ten on their backs. That that has got to improve. I'm sure they both know that, um, and uh, I. I I'm fairly confident in both of them, but it, but it's still got to improve like quite quickly because otherwise it really is just Pepe or Aubameyang. I think um, there are a couple of things here. I came away really frustrated with the second half because I was behind the goal that Arsenal were quote unquote attacking in the second half. I kept looking at it and like, honestly, honestly, the, the, the thing is about the way Burnley play, right? They play a 4 4 but they play like a reactive 4-4-2. The whole idea of the way they play is to be reactive. Now, they became proactive in the second half because they were 1-0 down and they were chasing the game. And the thing is about playing a proactive 4-4-2 is it leaves you wide open um, because the, the way it usually is is like the whole point of the two banks of four is to be largely defensive and then to get forward and, and support the two strikers and play for knockdowns and things like that. But when you start being proactive and you've only got two central midfielders and you've got your fullbacks pushed up, that leaves a lot of gaps. And I was, I was That's behind... That's what Everton exploited, by the way, in the game before. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. With, and with I was, yep. Yeah, yeah. And I was behind that goal. And every single time one of their attacks broke down, I was looking at it and I was like, seriously, three passes and we're in. Just th- like three one-touch passes and we are through. And we couldn't do it. And it was really, really irritating. And it was actually, um, you know, a lot of the guys at the back couldn't quite do it um, or at the back of the midfield. Like it, it wasn't getting to the halfway line. But then you're right, there were a few counterattacks that kind of broke down. And I do have a bit of a theory with these counterattacks because I saw this happen to Chelsea against Spurs on Sunday when they kept counter-attacking through Spurs at will in the second half. And they had loads of incidents just like us where they mucked up the final pass or someone overthought it. And my theory is that with these counter-attacks, it's a little bit like getting a chance on goal. It needs to happen quickly for you. Otherwise, you overthink it and you get the execution wrong. And I think at times that's what happened. They were Burnley was so open and then, you know, you're doing that thing where you're running down the middle of the pitch and you've got one guy to your right and one guy to your left and, and they're both in equally good positions. So you start thinking about it and going, Christ, which one do I pass to? And then you kind of, you, you're not firm and quick in your actions. And it's, it can be the same with finishing sometimes when a guy goes through one-on-one and they've got loads and loads of time to line up and you look at them and you think they're not going to score because they're thinking about this too much. They need one touch, bang, in. And I, I do feel like there was a bit of that. I do feel like, may, I, I mean, I didn't look at the pitch and thought, oh, that looks dry and bumpy. Um, but m- maybe it was. I'm, I'm sure they didn't, you know, particularly water it for us or anything I, like I, that. I got to go into a Manscaped promo. <laughs> Keep going, sorry. <laughs> dry and bumpy. So, so, so I'm sure there was a little bit of that. But I, I, I was really frustrated in the second half because I was just looking at it and I was thinking, right, they're not actually causing us a lot of trouble like they're getting a lot of balls into the box and it feels a bit hairy but actually i think our goalkeeper and uh, there we go now you're doing it intentionally <laughs> <laughs> it felt a bit curly didn't it when we got into the box it's a, a little bit a little bit and um 
and and yeah and but and so I, I didn't you know obviously when a team plays like that you don't you don't feel comfortable but I, I wasn't looking at it thinking oh god they're going to score any minute I I thought we were okay with what they were doing and my whole my whole kind of thing was that there's a second goal for us here and we just for whatever reason whether it's the pitch whether it's fatigue whether it's because the technical level of the team isn't high enough. Um, I don't know those those some of those questions will be borne out in in the kind of the fullness of time. But I was disappointed with our execution. But I do think maybe some of those counters towards the end almost gave players too much time and too much choice. And I do think I do think that can happen in those scenarios. Yeah, uh, Clive, you want to add to that? Yeah, there's a couple of things really, and it just shows you how far we've come. So I actually thought Burnley delayed some of those obvious chances three on twos that we had sometimes five on twos <laughs> and they were quite clever in their defensive body shape to just sort of try to cut one pass out and make you make a decision on the other then leap over so they put our technique under pressure but again if i look at the development of this team and i know every game's different but the amount of times we felt isolated in attack and to see the support line running so that's why that was my theme in this game how we really got after the man, our man in possession and got around him. I felt we finished this game with a really athletic team and that athleticism probably got you really excited, Tim, as you're looking at the pitch. You're thinking, actually, we're covering the ground better than them. We're getting to the ball quicker and we're transitioning quicker. And this is a step forward with as a team, as a development for the team. I, I think this is a huge plus sign. The execution bit will come. It's just a yard. It's just a bit of sharpness. It's a a bit of quick decisioning, but to see the bodies progressing at the pitch, fours and fives, late in the game, I found that really encouraging. Yeah. Uh, Paul, I mean, do you have a thought on on how we... Well, because the interesting thing is, right, like I was looking at Chelsea beating up on Spurs, because why wouldn't you want to watch that? And they have that sort of clear superstar striker up front, Lukaku. I think it's fair to say that Aubameyang is not in that class at this point in his career. But then they have the two sort of connecting players making a box. So Kovacic and Jorginho in midfield, Havertz and Mount cut inside, and they they kind of create that box in midfield. But they can get goals from those guys, especially from Havertz. Smith, Rowe, and Saka are those guys. They, they create the box. And then Pepe and, I guess, Tierney create the width. I just sort of wonder if that whole construct, that whole way of laying it out, leaves us a little short on goal scoring. Because if you have a game like this where Aubameyang is really peripheral, I think it's maybe still too... Like... Sack and Smith Rowe both get in excellent positions in the box in this game and blow it. One is a Smith Rowe, to be fair, hits it reasonably well, but wide. The other is a heavy touch from Saka. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I is there a way to reconfigure that? I, I'm, I can't help but feel a little bit like Saka wants to play inverted like, like Pepe, that he's not quite as comfortable on the left. Um, but, I, you know, again, that, that could just be looking for excuses for a player who had a busy summer, might be a little worn out emotionally and physically, and... and you know, needs to come to come back to his own. So where where is that attack breaking down in, in your estimation? I mean, I, again, there were a lot of opportunities here for us to make that second and third and fourth goal. So maybe it's not breaking down. Maybe it's just the final ball. But what what is, you know, what's the right way for us to get that to, to convert into goals is, is what I would say if I was asking a very long-winded <laughs> question that, that honestly, listening back to it, I'm, I'm sure I will be pretty disappointed in myself. But but no, you, you go. You talk about what you want. <laughs> um, look, uh, we're certainly nowhere near where we need to be 
this is not the finished article, but I wouldn't change too much right now. Uh, I'd do it better. I'd finish better. I'd I'd build. I'd have a little you should more be a coach. confidence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I got it all. I'm the Ted Lasso of this podcast. Just finish better, guys. You got this. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of is. The, I mean, Smith Rowe's chance is an excellent chance. It's a little under his feet. You could, you know, blah blah blah. But he could have just put it in the back of the net. That would have been nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saka is right through the center of the goal. Split the center backs onto his left foot. And he gets it wrong. I mean, he could put it in the net. That would be nice. I mean, I wouldn't want to change how that builds up. And yes, like Lukaku is the striker anybody would want right now. But like Aubameyang, if we start getting him more of the right opportunities, is still a top-class striker. I wouldn't, you know, Pepe uh, got into, when he's in positions, uh, will put that ball in the back of the net. I, I wouldn't change too much about this right now. Uh, the other thing I think is like we're all a bit maybe concerned is the wrong word, but I'll go with concerned about where Saka's at. It's not quite too surprising given the the Euros, the summer, the continuous playing, the him being a young fella, all that kind of thing. He nobody's shocked that he might have a teeny bit of a dip right now on the other hand we've scored two goals in the last two games and they've all come from Saka dropping into the half space spinning his man and putting the opposition in all sorts of trouble um and that's how we got this excellent position for a free kick um you'd mentioned on the instant reaction um Elliot about the amount of rotational fouling and I can't believe when you look at it, when you look at Smithrow, how many times he spun his man was in the, immediately taken down by Burnley um, when we had them at our mercy. And the same thing happens with Saka all the time. Saka rides those tackets, tackles sometimes a little better, which is how he ended up setting us up for two goals over the last two games. Um, I guess I'd uh, overall, I think what we did here was good. I, I use the analogy on the instant reaction. Like, it's hard to box and hold a tea service in your other hand at the same time. Um, Like, we came out planning to have a matching Burnley physically, and I'm delighted with that whole side of our game. And you'll very often see a team in that situation, um, maybe losing a little bit on the technical side. And we lost a lot on the technical side. You can do better than we did it, but I'm, you know, part of it is just turf more the length of the grass the 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 circumstances on that side part of it is the psychological thing of a team with very little confidence coming to Burnley having uh, gotten done by Brentford in very similar circumstances uh, everybody saying how we were going to get plowed at the back and making sure we match the man some <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. What what are we going? You going to do a, a no, landscape around just, getting plow, plowed at the back or? Well, it's, no? a, it's the lawnmower. It's not the plower. It's it's yeah, two yeah. Things. Okay, yeah. go on. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, look, this is not where we want to be. I was absolutely delighted with the performance rather than the the finishing at the end of the day, just because. This was about as much as I expected on the day. Yeah. But yeah, we have a long way to go. And I wouldn't change too much. I'd just build and build confidence and have these guys put those shots in the back of the net. 
And it's funny because like Thomas Party is doing all the stuff I want Thomas Party to do. Yeah. He is providing that platform. He is facilitating. He is bringing the ball into positions where the next pass should create a shot. And the next pass isn't. And that's where a project like this, and I use the word project intentionally, really gets measured. Because the, the reality is, Clive, that this project is hinging on the young players being as good as we think they are. But like all young players, there's a wide range of outcomes and there's going to be inconsistency. It is not fair to expect elite performances right away. But the interesting thing is if we look around the top four, there are young players, as young as our young players, providing consistent world-class performances game in, game out. Mason Mount is starting for a team that could win the title. And Trent Alexander-Arnold is starting for a team that has won the title. And Phil Foden is an important contributor to a team that just won the title. And at Manchester United, they have a 37-year-old. And to me, that's still young. So young players in all of these teams, you know, making important contributions. So is it really that for all of this tactical mumbo-jumbo, and I said this on the Instant Reaction Pod, we are so obsessed with evaluating the manager, myself included, and for obvious reason. But there are times where it stops being about the manager and it starts being about the players. And for me, this was a game where it stopped being about the manager. He picked a good team. He had the right tactics. They were set up well. We created the right opportunities. And those young players that we need to grow into elite status did not deliver in the key moment, that where the high leverage moments. They're the hardest moments in the game and the most important. So for me, this, this was a game about the players, less than the manager, who I thought did brilliantly with the setup, the tactics, and the substitutions. Is it yep. as simple, Clive, as these guys, Smith Rowe, Saka, now they got to grow into that role and take that step forward. And I know it's, look, it's not as easy as me just saying they have to do it. But where we go does sort of hinge on the guys that we gave those big numbers to on their back, right? They, they're, yep. they're wearing those numbers because we expect them to be able to do that job. It all, all, comes, all comes back to how you view a player and where you view him from. So let's just take Smith Rowe, for example. So last year, he came into our team and he knitted us together. He'd get the ball, he would, he'd appear in wide triangles and diamonds, both sides, touch, lay it off, set it back, touch, set someone in, third man run, set someone in. He was not getting no shots, hardly any shots in the game. Now he's getting shots. Progression. Progression. We want to be a goal scorer, number 10. He's not going to be a goal scorer until he starts taking shots and get himself into the box yeah. to take shots. That's a big progression for him. Saka supposedly had a not-so-good game. Every game he breaks the game open. He's like our Sterling. If you watch England, every time they they score the first goal, it's always something to do with Sterling. Every time, even when Saka's having an average game, he break he does something that causes the goal. Right, so I don't worry about him. I worry about his fitness for anything. I always think he's always limping through a game. But again, he stuck it out when others came off the pitch. He stuck it out, stayed on the pitch. Ninety minutes done. Well done. You know, Pepe again. Defensive engagement is hugely improved hugely improved he was one of our best defenders from a midfield perspective absolutely fantastic could he do a bit more on the ball i think so but he, he wasn't coming off he's fit he's ready to go he's physical he's winning first balls from the goalkeeper progression i think people have to look at the progression of the player i'm i'm so with you with that line about the manager i never look at the manager too much <clears throat> excuse me never too much because I think you don't see the football. You don't see the team. 
Look at the team, then you'll see the manager. You know, look at the team closely, though. Then you'll see what the manager's trying to do, and then you'll see if that works for you or not. Look at the connection between the team and the management. Of these 14 players, Arteta has signed or re-signed 12 of them, and only Pepe and Maitland-Niles, who's been there since he was six, have not had a contract from him. Right, So you're starting to see a group of people that he believes in on the pitch. And, and I can see that connection. So the manager will take that. That will always take care of itself. Always take care of itself. Look at the progression of the players. Look at the presence of Lekonga and Maitland-Niles when they came on late in that game. Yeah, we're going to come to that because I thought oh they both my had brilliant. Goodness, right? And we have to talk about the defense as well. <laughs> yeah, I could go through the whole team. No, no, we'll get with well, I won't, <laughs> but I want people to see... The progression. So even Smithrow, I thought, had an average game. But he's in the box taking a shot. Odegaard last week had a really good off-the-ball game. I thought he didn't get on the ball enough against Norwich. Today we drop him in. He gets on the ball, loads more, and dictates the whole game, scores the winning goal. Progression. But even when he had his average game, he still pressed the backside out of Norwich. So you're, you're starting. if you look at it closely, you're starting to see people improving aspects of their game. And when they put it all together, we are going to get that 5-0, that 5-0 win. We are going to get it. I'll take I it. Promise you. I'll take five. I mean, I know I keep saying 10-0. I'll take 5-0. I'll tell you, you know, look, data doesn't always tell you everything because data can't tell you what didn't happen. But I think the one interesting data point in this game that does tell you something, key passes, which are passes that lead to a shot. Very basic stat. Saka had none. Smith-Rowe had none. And you think about the positions they took up and the opportunities we were in and that neither of those players created a shot from their passes, I think is instructive in the sense of missed opportunities. Yeah, Missed opportunities to to play players in. Because, you know, Party had one, Pepe had two, Odegaard had two. You know, there were other players creating some chances. And and again, let's be clear. Criticizing a young player isn't killing a young player. But like I said, Bukayo Saka is wearing the number seven. Emil Smith-Rowe is wearing the number 10. They are critical pieces of our team. And on this day, I think if they had been a little sharper in the final third, we create more. And our ceiling... Sorry, mate. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, what you're you're not saying is they can't pass. They can pass. Just on this day, their passing was a little bit off. And I think there's a slight difference there. And the pitch wasn't good and the fouling. Yeah, and like, again, it's just as simple as me saying our ceiling, for us to go from being a team that gets one nils against Norwich and, and Burnley, our ceiling where we go and we you know we really start to push that that sort of bottom of the top four level that's going to come when Sack and Odegaard uh, Sack and Smith Rowe on days like this find those final balls and we go batter teams a little bit and it's yeah. coming i agree with you that it's coming but in terms of developing that consistency that's the next phase of it i think Absolutely. we got to talk about the defense before we come on to the subs those are two sort of meaty topics left but i have two meaty topics for you right now one of them you know what Let's flip the script. Let's tell you about phone service first because Mint Mobile sponsors this podcast. And I'm quite happy about it because, look, as a dad, one thing that I've come to realize is that, like, life has changed. When I was a kid, there were no cell phones. Uh, there were no phones, actually. We just um, we did smoke signals and we, we banged stones together to try to get people to notice us. But now they have not only phones but mobile phones. And, like, it is really helpful for, for a kid to have a mobile phone because, God forbid, they get in any trouble and they, they need to reach mom and dad. Just even having something where they can call you – in an emergency. But like mobile phone services are outrageous. You can spend hundreds of dollars. So Mint Mobile will provide you premium wireless on the nations. And when I say nations, it's the U.S. nation. I apologize. It's what it is. There are many nations. This is the one we're talking about. 
unlimited talk, text, high-speed data on the nation's largest 5G network for $15 a month. I mean, if you have a teenager that needs a phone, if you have a young child that needs a phone for an emergency, if you need a burner phone, I mean, let's face it, it's important to have a burner phone. If you ever watch The Wire, you know how important a burner phone is. Point is, 15 bucks a month. What's the catch? There's no catch. Their secret sauce is that they don't have retail stores. They are an online-only service, so they cut out the retail store, they save you the crazy overhead, they pass the savings on to you, okay? You get a seven-day money-back guarantee. So if you're like, is this really good? Get it, try it, and in the first seven days, if you're like, no, nah, it wasn't as good as he said, then done, fine, no problem. They also have 24-7 support that you, that you can get if you need it. I just think... With the, with the cost that we have for so many things right now to do mobile service for 15 bucks a month, you can't bleed it. So go to mintmobile.com slash vision, mintmobile.com slash vision, mintmobile.com slash vision. It says it three times here. I got to read it three times and then Candyman appears and kills us all. Sorry. Uh, mintmobile.com slash vision. Get your free wireless plan for 15 bucks a month. And now, now I can tell you about Manscaped's fall package cough. Look, Manscaped gives me copy to read. But they're a lovely company. They trust me to come up with something on my own. This copy always contains some stuff that, like, I just want to read to you. Just so you can hear. This one is the fall the fall promo. Make sure you don't carve your pant pumpkins when you're grooming. What are pant pumpkins? If they look like pumpkins, go see a doctor. See a urologist. It shouldn't look like pumpkins. My goodness. Also, they referenced something called cuffing season in this. I didn't even know there was a thing called cuffing season. Don't look it up. But my God, people, is this what young people are doing now? I don't know. The point is, all of us, all of us, all of us, men, women, grownups, we need tools for grooming. It's that simple. We need tools for grooming. Like, if you have a dog, you probably do better, use better tools grooming your dog than yourself, which is fair because dogs deserve a lot and we don't deserve dogs. But the point is, Manscaped has a perfect... Performance package 4.0 right now. You get the lawnmower 4.0, the weed whacker for ear and nose hair trimming, the uh, deodorant, the toner, the boxer briefs, and a travel bag, all of it. And you get it 20% off and free worldwide shipping when you go to manscaped.com and use code ArsenalVision. Manscaped.com, code ArsenalVision. That's worldwide shipping for free and 20% off. And you don't have to get that whole kit, but that whole kit has a really good... um really good deal on it right now, but you can just get the lawnmower 4.0. Remember, it's uh, waterproof, wet, dry. It, it has um, ceramic blades with skin-safe technology, so you don't get the, what did he say, dry and bumpy, I think is what Tim referenced earlier. Go to manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off and free shipping. Do it, and as it says here, make sure you don't carve your pants pumpkins. Yikes. Clive, is that enough? More than. I, I mean, look, I consider myself to be a reasonably creative dude. I, I don't think Pants Pumpkins is a thing. Do you think Pants Pumpkins is a thing? <laughs> you asking me? I, I mean, look. I live a very narrow life. All of us are a little different. I'm just saying I don't think Pants Pumpkins are a thing. All right, Tim. <laughs> I won't ask you to opine on that topic specifically. Let's talk about Ben White. Um, mm-hmm. If there was a quote-unquote concerning moment in this game, I think the concern would either be the inability to finish off the moves that, that were dangerous and we could have scored goals from. And then the other concerning thing I think you'd have to say would be some of the shaky passing out from the back from Ben White. And it's an ironic day because it was a day where Ben White looked comfortable in the air, won some aerial duels, defended well, things that we were like, will he be able to adapt to doing that? And it was the things that we sort of thought he was specifically brought in for, which is a distribution that was trouble. Now look, again with the grass and it was long and it was dry and so on and so forth. But like, Aaron Ramsdale, who was excellent, deserves huge credit 
because what he did in getting that ball and sparing us the penalty, and thank God for VAR, saved our bacon and saved Ben White's bacon. I'm curious what your take is on the day he had passing out from the back. Yeah, I I thought quite poor. Again, like um, when uh, another thing I'm rediscovering, I guess, is when you're at games, like your your emotions really drive your opinions in a way that they probably do, or for for me at least, they do less so when when I'm kind of watching at home. And yeah, that, that was another, I guess, of my kind of big takeaways was that I actually came away thinking Ben White was kind of crap. But then I watched the highlights and I thought, no, he wasn't. That's not fair. He, as you say, he actually defended quite well. Um, I thought maybe he was shaky in the first few minutes, and but I think he recovered well enough from that because, I mean, the thing is, with the best will in the world, Burnley tell you who they think your weakest centre-half is, um, or at least your most susceptible centre-half, by who they put Ashley Barnes on. And they put Ashley Barnes on Ben White. They didn't put him on Gabrielle. Now, I know they have Chris Wood up front as well, who's you know, no shrinking Violet himself. So in in essence, they've got two like bouncers up there to dish out some treatment, but they put, they put Barnes on Ben White and they, they, they look to test him early. Um, and you can look at that two ways. Um, you can look at that as, mm, there you go. They're, they're telling you they don't think that much of him, or you can look at it as, yeah, they did that and he stood up to it and it was fine. Um, and, and the latter, uh, conclusion is probably the correct one of the two, but I agree with you. I think his playing out from the back wasn't fantastic. I will say, um, I, I think we're kind of assuming that the, that the turf wasn't great. Again, I didn't get that impression from the eye test, but I don't think you really know how good the turf is until you're on it and kicking a ball on it, to be fair. Mm. But um, they, they were, I, I think they were quite aware of Ben White on the ball as well because they did just keep standing someone in front of him so we didn't get any of those big kind of long diagonals um that we know he can do that map very closely to david louise and you know there there wasn't an awful lot of options for him i don't think an awful lot of the time not least because tommy asu is not really there to progress the ball up the line so much um not that he did that badly per se but do you know what i mean like he's he's more there as a kind of third center back and i think probably the the spacing between those two when Ben White gets the ball probably just needs to be worked on a bit so that when we play out, maybe it does go to more of a three and Ben White is perhaps a little bit more central um, because I did get the impression sometimes that Tommy Asu and White in the build-up anyway were kind of on each other's toes a little bit and that that impacted things. And, and again, as much as I've kind of had a bit of a dig at Ben White in terms of uh, Burnley putting Ashley Barnes on him, um, in possession, they put no one in, on Gabrielle. It was Ben White they were marking. Yeah. That was the passing lane they wanted to block. And, and you know, rightly so. Um, so I, I think I think it was, I guess I'd summarise it overall and say it was a difficult day, but he passed the test. But and, and again, you can look at his, I think, slightly questionable distribution in two ways. You can kind of say, well, how is he when people mark him? Because how much were people talking up his distribution at Brighton? Were they talking it up or is it just because it's become such a big thing now he's signed for Arsenal? Um, and, you know, he's probably going to have to put up with people standing on his toes when he gets the ball. And that means that Gabrielle's distribution is probably going to have to get a bit better if they're going to leave him as the spare man. Um, not that his is terrible by any means, but... Um, so you, you could I you could say it's a tough day, but a test that he passed, or you can say that Burnley were quite cognizant of his strengths and weaknesses, 
um, and that may, and that if Burnley are cognizant of it, then so is everyone else going to be. So it's one of those, you know, you, you put a kind of put a little post-it on it and, and see where we are in a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's well said. I, I think it's it's difficult because we fall into very easy stereotypes of players as, oh, well, you know, Ben White's not really a, a back four defender, but he's a great facilitator. And so that's what he does. And like the data never really said that. And I think we created this mythology around him as this elite passer. And by the way, that's not me saying he can't pass. That's just me saying that it became sort of the narrative that Ben White is there to be the sensational passer. And I I think Ben White is there to do a lot of things, carrying the ball, certainly, nipping in front of players and intercepting the ball and <clears throat> being more of the front-footed defender. I don't think he's some wonderkin passer. I think he does do some good long passing. Look, it was just an off day for him passing. The funny thing is, meanwhile, I get Tomiyasu at one point, switches it to his left foot, and does a huge switch to Tierney, like 50 yards, sensational pass. I mean, we, we put these players in the boxes of what they can do, but they are professional footballers. Like, they can all do some pretty impressive stuff. And Clive, one of the guys who did do some impressive stuff for me is Gabriel. Like, whatever you want to say about a back four, they all have to work together. And I think that this is what's starting to crystallize in my mind. We talked in the last pod about them being complementary pieces. Gabriel is doing what we absolutely needed Gabriel to do, I think, for this defense to come together, which is show that he's ready to be the anchor of it. And I, I realize it's Norwich and Burnley, so I'll pump the brakes a bit. But he sure looks like he's doing it. He has stepped in and snuffed out all the dangerous moments, looked really confident marshalling that defense. He's got good players around him for sure, but the defense needed someone to be the captain of it. And and he's doing it. And I, I thought it was another brilliant game, another game where he's right there as one of the men of the match. So do you think that the... The critical element of a back four is who's the guy who holds it all together. I mean, obviously, you say what you want about Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, they're attacking pieces. Van Dyke is Liverpool's defense, and we saw what happened when they lost him last season. I'm not saying Gabriel's Van Dyke, by the way. I'm just saying, like, I think every defense has that person, and Gabriel looks like he's growing into it. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think he's going. I think he's better on the ball than people think. He tends to carry it out a bit too far, if I'm, if I'm honest. But I, I never... Sometimes when you judge a player, I always look for something that makes me see them, right? So, Gabriel, I liked, everyone liked him in the first couple of months, but if you remember the Tottenham at home game last year, he absolutely dominated Harry Kane. Dominated him. And he dominated him in every part of the pitch. When he went, when he dropped deep, he smashed him on the halfway line. He smashed him in the box. He, you couldn't run him down the sides. I thought to myself, mate, you, you've done well there. You can play. Yeah, I know you're a bit rash. Yeah, I know you go fishing for the ball every now and again. But that's your level as a 22-year-old, first time in the English game. That's your level. You just boshed England captain. I've seen it now. So now it's about polishing up what you, you know your skills, etc. And, and he got COVID, got injured, and, and he dropped away. But I hadn't forgotten that game. I hadn't forgotten it and how he held us together towards the end of that game. So for me, he was always going to be that guy for us he's still incredibly young I think he's really physical really quick really bounding and really concentrated on defending and there was a lots of good and I watched his game a few times actually over the weekend and there are lots of good messages that have been sent by the defenders so Tommy Asu is very energetic very all action you heard me use the phrase all court he's exactly what I hope for in that position 
And Ben White is quite, uh, he, he intercepts. He, I think he was focused on defending. And funny enough, when he was defending in crowds, he was much better than he was against Norwich. I but totally agree, he, yep. But when he was in space on the ball and the stuff we do expect him to do, he actually looked a bit lumpy, you know? So it's really strange. So I think he turned up and said, well, I'm going to show you a lot. I know I've got some pretty boy tattoos, but I'm going to show you I can head it and kick it. And that's exactly what he did. And Gabriel just does that anyway, but then you can't run him. So he's the guy that goes for their strong, you know, the opposition's strongest guy and puts a clamp on him. And I think he's going to be, I, I think he's, he's that guy for us. I, I really do. I think he's got huge potential physically for someone at 23 just think back to, so look at Maguire's 28, 29. Look at these guys, Van Dyke is 28, 29. And, and look where he is at this age. Just say to yourself, wow, what have we got on our hands here once he works this all out? You know, it's, it's going to be significant. And we've needed that figure for many, many years. We sort of defend as a group and we leave our two centre-backs alone a lot. And I don't worry about these two being left alone so much. I think they're developing a partnership that we all hope they would do. It all looked great on paper and very complimentary, but now we've seen it twice. Two different types of team. Now we have a counter-attacking Spurs team coming up. Can they marshal the people in front of them to to hold those spaces to make sure they can stay where they need to be so they can go one-on-one with Son and Kane running down the sides? I hope they can because that's the next phase for them, communicating in front making sure people are where they want to, stopping entry passes coming in, unlike Marie versus Chelsea, stopping those sort of actions happening. And it's going to be fun to watch them develop. It, it, it really is. I'm, I have zero concerns about him. Zero concerns. I think we've got, a, we've paid 20, 30 million too much for Pepe, but they could have put 15, 20 million on top for this guy and that would be about value. I really think we've got something decent. And I think the challenge for us as fans is he's going to have dips. He's going to have a moment where he gives a penalty away. He is going to get sent off again, much like Kachani did loads of times. And will we will we stay with so, him? So would those, would those be the concerns then? Just Because <laughs> <laughs> you said zero concerns. <laughs> concerns. Yeah, but you, you know what I mean by that. He's getting sent I, off. I mean, it sounds I, awful. I don't want him anymore. I have zero concerns where he's going to end up. But on that journey, he's going to do those stuff. He's going to do those things. He's going to do those things. And I think it's important that we hold on to those these memories and the, my Harry Kane memory and remind ourselves that's what he is but every now and again he's going to kick one in his own net can we stay with him you know can we stay with him because he is that guy for us and I, I don't I've got no concerns about his overall ceiling where he's going to get to yeah and I mean it's I think he deserves a lot of credit because I, I I believe I said this at some point maybe on the instant reaction pod like if that's Pablo Marie next to Ben White in this game this game does not go does not go the same way. Um, he he's the player that I think makes this all work. And and to be fair, you know I, I think you're absolutely right about one thing. Um, like Ben White did a good job defending. Gabriel did a good job defending. Tomiyasu did a good job defending in this game. Like for for me, the the if I look at this game and I say you know what is really the the crux of what we have to fix. We look much more like Arsenal now than we did in those first three games, right? What we have to fix is that last ball, sustaining attacks, sustaining pressure, and creating the goals. I think the back four is working itself out, and, and Ben White will certainly work himself into that. Uh, final word on that, Paul, because I want to get to the, the substitutes also, because I think they deserve uh, you know more than just a, a passing mention. Yeah, look, um, I was pumped on this game, and when I think about why, it was the defensive part of this. Not that we 
restricted ourselves to that part of the game. But I really came away feeling uh, that was a hell of a performance. And that's six players. But if I were to pick five players, it's not so much Tierney, because, you know, he's a given. We know what he does. He's good. He's good at defending. He's even better at attacking. But Ramsdale, Party, and then the three uh, lads there who form our back three, Tomiyasu, White, and Gabriel, from a defensive standpoint, apart from one or two moments, I th- they just threw out the game. I felt really bloody secure. Um, they were frustrating the shit out of Burnley. Uh, the Burnley game was not really working for them. Um, and Burnley aren't a great team, but they generally have a good first 50, 60 minutes uh, in the Premier League this season against other teams. Uh, where they look like they might get something out of it. They put pressure, they get headers on on the goal. And I just felt pretty bloody secure. Um, you know, uh, I think White is the classic guy who came to this game with a boxing glove on one hand and tea service in the other. And unfortunately, he spilled some tea um, because he was all about the defensive end and making yeah. sure he held up his end. And like, I think the narrative on Ben White on why we signed him is 100% correct. I've watched a fair bit of him. He's a great bloody passer. He's great helping build play. Um, We will see that over time. This was an off game on that side. I'm much happier that he had an off game uh, creatively, if you like, because I know he can do that. Um, The fact that those three guys worked out how to make us look secure at the back. Ramsdale claiming, you know, we have, I think we'll all, we'd all say at the end of this pod, oh shit, we never talked about Ramsdale. Like, he had a big game for us, a big game for him as well. Um, you know, and we all saw it, right? There, there's not too much to say that hasn't been said, but he claimed he had presence. He was huge on avoiding the penalty. Uh, he does really well to get the ball and keep his leg away from from getting the guy. So great awareness and flexibility. Um, ballsy building from the back. And I, the reason I include party is because part of what our defense is, is the ability to build from there and to be secure. And he dropped in as a screen as well. He kind of uh, kept us secure at the back and helped us play out so that we could play out securely. There was, uh, although we didn't get all the benefits of it at the other end, um, some of our playing out from the back and just generally that that sense of control and robustness at the back, I thought that was a big performance that uh, maybe the neutrals or the pundits uh, aren't really seeing what, what we saw in this game. This was a sea change for us in terms of our uh, defensive performance. And it wasn't because we were locked down for 90 minutes, uh, you know, uh, uh, all hands to the to the press. Um, so uh, I just think we managed this game very well from the back and through the midfield and had a sense of control, even if we didn't have it in the final third. Yeah, and obviously, like, if, if we had been in need of a goal, that would have changed our perspective, I think, but we weren't, and we managed the game well from ahead. I agree with that. It's worth pointing out, Burnley haven't won at home since, I think, January 27th or something like that. Um, You know, there are tougher challenges to come other than Norwich and Burnley, but you can only do the job that's put in front of you, and from the position we were in, in terms of how far down we were, you know, it's good to see this response. It's also worth pointing out, the average age of this team was 24 years old, and that's with a 45-year-old striker. So if you take him out, the average age is like 17. I kid, but not. Like, 
This is a young, young team learning to play together. Lots of young players in the back line at keeper at seven and 10. I mean, even the sort of experienced quote unquote players like Odegaard, pretty young. It's basically Party and Pepe and Aubameyang. And that, the rest are young. I mean, Tierney, say what you want, he's Maitland Niles' age. So, Tim, I want to talk about the substitutes because, you know, the one thing about Thomas Party is. I don't know if he's all the way fit yet or not. I don't know what the situation is. Thomas Partey has completed 10 90s in 41 games at Arsenal. And, you know, he he does tire in these games. He, he gives a lot. He looks good. He's very influential. But he's not a 90-minute player for us right now. And so you have to have those alternatives. Elneny, not it for me. I think everybody knows that. Granit Xhaka, we're going to come on to that in a moment. But Sammy Lakanga and Ainsley Maitland-Niles came on, and I thought they totally controlled the game. And once again, a Maitland-Niles cameo in midfield that's just so assured, so convincing. I mean, it's that it's that ability to both sort of lock down defensively and not, not leave us exposed. But he's adding just that little bit of technical quality in midfield that I think people question. You know, can he make the passes? Can he make the plays? And, you know, I didn't think he did it brilliantly for uh, against Norwich. I thought he was a little sloppy. But I thought this was a really assured performance from those two. And you know me, I'm not a huge squad matters guy, but what I love, I like when your squad is not your 29-year-old journeyman midfielder you can't unload, but is your academy player who you've put time developing or the 21-year-old you've just brought in and you're trying to develop through. And you look at that now and you say the players coming on the pitch are young guys with upside and future who we want to develop. And look at the difference when it's... You know, when it's not Elneny coming on, when it's Maitland-Niles and Samby, I thought they were both great. So, you know, maybe I'm I'm over-egging it a bit. I'm curious to see if you if you agree with me, though, that they were really encouraging uh, uh, substitutions. Yeah, I really do. In, in Maitland-Niles' case as well, you know, I, I always say this about squad players, that they, they probably should be your young players because they should turn over quite a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And in Maitland-Niles' case, yeah, he's, he's probably, like, I think his Arsenal race was probably run a little while ago. But at the very least, he's trying to prove he's a midfielder for someone, um, whether it's at Arsenal or not. He's At the very least, he's playing for his next contract, wherever that is. Um, and not just looking at something that's taking him to 32 years old. I th- I thought they were both um, good substitution, uh, or or at least, I sorry, I thought they had a really positive impact on the game, particularly Maitland-Niles. The reason Maitland-Niles had a really positive impact in that game is because he brought something that we were lacking. Like, he's calm to a fault. Sometimes he's <laughs> too calm. But, like, we, we'd gotten a little bit ragged, and I think a little bit... Cert- Certainly when we had possession of the ball in front of our 18-yard area, I think we were getting a little bit ruffled. And maybe it's also just because, you know, we started with quite an attacking midfield and we needed that that security. But security doesn't have to be someone going around like flying into tackles. Security, technical security, keep the ball. And, and we weren't doing that well enough. And, and Maitland-Niles, he can do that. Whether he can, you know, play make progressively, I think he can sometimes, but sometimes it's con- I think it's in him, but it's it's a question of his concentration sometimes letting him down. But in that scenario, he was perfect because we needed someone to calm things the fuck down. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles is your guy for that. Um, and, and I guess probably what we're getting a sense of with Maitland-Niles, the midfielder, is he's probably not at this moment like a 90-minute midfielder, but he's either the guy you start with and you hook after 60 minutes for someone a bit more exciting, or if you're 1-0 up, you put him on with 20, 30 minutes to go to calm things down. Like He's probably not going to, at this stage, um, not 
or at least there isn't evidence that he's a real game breaker in there. But what he can do probably is is you know help you control the game um, in in a way that's not that exciting. I mean, it sounds a bit El Nene esque to me <laughs> a little bit, to be honest. And and I do think, if I'm honest, had El Nene been on the bench, he would have come on. Um, probably ahead of Maitland-Niles. And to be honest, probably done something very similar. He'd have scuttled around, passed the ball sideways effectively enough, wouldn't have gone forward with that much vim or vigour, but he wouldn't have turned it over. But either. I think, uh, Tim, what, where uh, Maitland-Niles adds a lot El Nenny wouldn't have in that scenario is with the ball recoveries, the tackles, mm-hmm. the, the coverage, right? Just he, get, getting us the ball back when we... He can carry as well. yeah. Yeah, and, and, and El Nenny yeah. El Nenny can't like El Nenny's way of moving up the pitch is give and go, give and go. Whereas Maitland Niles can take the ball for a bit of a walk as well, and he can beat a player and and beat a press. It's it's not that El Nenny beats the press; it's that he doesn't confront it. He bores <laughs> um, them. He bores uh, the press to death. Exactly. Yeah, just keep passing it sideways until they go away. <laughs> which which like uh, that that sounds a little bit like a criticism, and I guess it is, but it, but it kind of works, particularly in that game state. But. But yeah, I, I think Maitland Niles, he, he's got that kind of, um, you know, that little shuffle past the player and he's calm enough to do that. So just in this particular scenario, I, I thought he was perfect. Whether that's, you know, it, is that enough for a future role, a game finisher, um, you know, a game starter before taking him off for someone more exciting? I mean, maybe um, in the short term, it's something for him in midfield, I think. But yeah, I, I thought they both had a, a really positive impact on... Arteta was um, actually asked that question about like kind of, it wasn't the term bullpen, but in his q and it was asked about uh, subs coming on and specialists and stuff. And he got into the whole, our team being much more specialist. He didn't truly answer, you know, is the game changing to the point? He talked about how with only three subs, not so much, but... Basically, if if we switch to more subs, then yes, but uh, kind of links to your point yeah. of Maitland Niles specialist role here. Yeah, and Wenger had those players, Grimondi, Vivas, the players he'd he'd wheel out with fifteen minutes to go when we were one nil up. Um, you know, there, there there is a role for that. Um, whether that's the role Maitland Niles wants, probably not. But yeah, I, I thought they were both really positive introductions. And what we've seen is that at least at some level. Uh, as we were saying last week, they they can work as a partnership. Probably not a partnership that's going to win us the league or anything like that. I'm not sure we've got one of those, but a partnership that you probably don't have to worry about too much. Mm. Uh, Paul, do you want to expand on that at all before we move on to what I think will be the most disagreeable portion of the podcast? Um, maybe just the the Coquelin comparison, which I know is a favorite of yours, but like he does provide something that really nobody else provides, which is that physical aspect. Uh, Again, a specialist, bring him on as a sub kind of thing. Um, Gosh, if that guy could only get his mind around to uh, playing wherever the manager wants you to play, uh, Mm -hmm. he could be, you know, we're going to, AFCON's coming up still. We're going to lose El Nani and Party. That's I mean, a if, really good point. He's got a big role to play during that period if he, if he wants it. Yep. In this, like the, he could play, could be our our right fullback still. He could be a central midfielder if he just focus on taking that place from the players or not making excuses for himself. Working like just 
balls out serious on taking a place from somebody. He's got all the skills. Um, does he have the focus, uh, that kind of laser focus to make it happen? But man, the the guy has the physical and and the ball skills. He uh, just needs to m- keep the focus. Uh, you know, will he? Probably not. May, you know, maybe we're just. It's a good setup for him and us for for him to move on in the summer and we get 20 million for for him. Thank you very much. But man, I'd love if he he really took advantage of his abilities and and made a career for himself at Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, well, Clive, I don't want to shut you out of that, but I, I kind of want to steer it into the part where we can all argue and, and get, uh, you know, aggravated and grumpy and whatnot. So I'll do my best. We'll see if it happens. But I mean, were you as as impressed with our subs as I was? Because where this is going is, of course, of course, of course, of course. You look and you say, Granit Xhaka, he misses this game, misses this game. Oh, he'll be eligible for selection again on Sunday in the Derby. And given the sort of 4-3-3 shape that we played, given the impressiveness of Samby and, and Maitland-Niles in his absence when they've played, given who it would mean dropping to bring him back in, it's going to be a really big decision for Mikel. Granit Xhaka is a big personality. He's going to want to start. And I think Arteta is going to want to start him. And I think there are going to be a lot of fans that are going to be frustrated if that's the decision he makes. Now, look, this is a coach who benched his star striker in a derby and won it. So all that matters is a result at the end. But I think the the performances of the players who have been used in his absence certainly have to give the manager pause in terms of moving away from Shaka as a guy he has to start. Whether or not he will, we'll see. And whether or not it works, we'll see. But I'm curious what your take on that is. Yeah, so I, I, I loved how Mate and Niles and Lekonga played. I liked how they looked. See, we're talking, uh, as Paul, I love the word he used, robust. We're talking a robust team, a tall, physical team. And when t- those two lads came on the pitch, I didn't look at the pitch and think, oh, we're in a bit of trouble here. They can look after it. They can turn away from you. They can step you. So they're, they're problem solvers. And they win races to the knockdowns. And when they get to the knockdowns, they've got two or three moves to keep it. And that's all. And then they drop away to get it back and then pop it out the other side. I don't think the game is complicated at all. Your eyes never lie. Your heart rate tells you exactly what a player can and can't do. Now, Oneni and Shaka have been wonderful players for Arsenal, and they do their thing. When they get pressed, they can't step you. If the passing lanes are shut off, they can't turn around quickly the other way. And if they get tackled, they can't run back and catch the man. So there's a sense of vulnerability. So what they do to fix that is they drop away to receive it. So they become they become non-engaging centre mids. If you notice these last couple of weeks where our centre mids are standing, they are standing right in the tulips, mate. Give it to me here. I don't mind. I can take it. And then, by the way, if you don't press me, I'm going to st- I'm going to ping it round to you over the top, or I'm going to step through you. They can solve problems, and, and this is this is so important. And I try and say this: they can solve problems on a good day or on a bad day. Mm. And and this is key. This is what good teams have: people can do all stuff with two feet, receive it back foot, bing, it goes. Get after it. When someone when a fullback goes missing, they can get out to the wide areas and tackle out there. You know, that's what Liverpool have. These types of people that are good in different zones of the pitch. 
And Granit Xhaka, is, he has some wonderful games, but they're his games, his way, that suit him. They're not engaging games. They don't go and get people. They don't go and get the game back from people. They don't go and wrestle the game from people. That's not his game. His game is about receiving the ball in areas that he likes and putting it into areas that suit certain people on the left-hand side of the pitch. Now, you can make that work, and I'm and I'm, I'm not someone that hates him, but I look at this and I like this all-court ability to do lots of stuff. And I don't look at the pitch and think we look weak. Mm. And it's taken a long time for me to look at that pitch and think we look better without Granit Xhaka. And I've not, I've not always said that. We don't win games without him. But this is how things develop so quickly with young players. It's been two or three games for Lukonga and we feel okay. Two or three games for Maitland Niles and we feel, we feel all right. We all know we want one more in there. And that's the purchase to come. Party's 28. He hasn't, and you're absolutely right about his fitness. It's something I spotted in the very, before he came, was his anaerobic fitness late in games. And it's something that we're suffering with as a team as a whole. There's too many players cramping and going down. So that's our development over the next international break. Hopefully, we can get some real work into some of these people that are a bit behind because we can kill these teams off late in games and we're just fading a little bit in certain key areas. But yeah, I, I look forward to the day and it's not far away when one of these guys are going to say, ah, I'm no longer waiting because I can do all the stuff he can do. And, I can, and once I start pinging my passes to space and not to man, and so he can run onto it, that's what Mate and Niles needs to do. And once Sammy just learns the grounds, basically, he just needs to go to the grounds once or twice, different times, and he'll feel more comfortable and he'll just develop into a really strong player. I think it's really encouraging. I really do. This is what midfielders look like. Now we need to up their levels against better teams to see what weaknesses pop out under pressure. Yep, that's well said. So, Tim, let me give you sort of the final word on that. I, I, I think there are a lot of ideas and opinions about Shaka now that have sort of moved into the hyperbole stage, right, or caricature stage, I think is a better way to say it, right, where all he does is pass it to the left back or all he does is get sent off or all he does is make amazing final third passes and you, you know, you plebes don't see it, right, like whichever side of the ledger you're on. He's not a caricature. He's a very good player who was very good for us last season. In terms of the ceiling, the limit on the ceiling, we've talked about that. In terms of the, the types of passes maybe he doesn't play, the types of mobility that that he doesn't have. You know, we know the player really, really well at this point. Mm. Neither bad nor excellent, but very specific in what he is. I'm just wondering if you think Arteta has enough confidence in what he's now built over two, not exactly sensational victories against, you know, weaker teams, but I think that there's a direction we're moving and it, it might be a direction away from Shaq. So I'm curious if you think he will see this project is ready now for a big game, the Derby at home against Spurs to move away from Shaq as a starter, or if he's going to go back to the comfort of, that, of having that sort of, I hate to use it, hashtag coach on the pitch for, for the big game. I, I think my, so my call is, I think he'll stick a pin in what he's doing at the moment. I think he will bring Xhaka in for the Derby. I think if it had been another game, I don't know, a home game against a kind of, if, if we'd been at home to Newcastle or something, I think we'd see it again. But I think for the Derby, he will default um, to Xhaka. And 
but I mean, having said that, I didn't think he'd bring Ramsdale in quite this early. Like there's a few of his guys he's brought in that he's done it straight away. Like all guys we thought, mm, that will ha- probably happen eventually. But and Tommy Asu was just off a plane from Japan. Yeah, yeah. Like he's he's really lent into, into some of those decisions quite quickly, I, I think to his credit. Um, I do think he'll go back to Xhaka for, for the derby because Xhaka is one of his guys. He's had a new contract this summer. And the thing is with Xhaka is his Arsenal career is so boom and bust. He's like um, he's the embodiment of the every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Uh, uh, Einstein, well, I say quote, that's underdoing what he was actually talking about there, the theory of relativity. Um, but the thing is with Xhaka, we've been here before. Every time you think that he's, he's done or he's made a mistake and it's unsalvageable. He comes back in and generally you get a response and you get a couple of months of really, really good, solid play and you get a kind of... I, I don't even know if it's a reaction, to be honest, because I, I'm not sure Xhaka has the level of introspection required um, to to react to something or to to reflect or say mm, maybe I've done something bad or maybe uh, maybe my place is under threat. I'm sure in Granite Xhaka world he's thinking, "Yep, I'm coming back in because I'm Granite Xhaka and I'm great." And um and and that attitude does take him quite far, um to be honest. But it it is also <laughs> quite often his downfall as well. So I I don't think he's sitting there thinking, oh my god, I've really got to prove myself. I think he'll just come back into the team and do Xhaka things, um, and he'll probably play well for the next three months until he does something else stupid. And and I do think that's the the most likely way the, the most likely way that it that it will play out. And I do think we saw enough of the Xhaka party partnership last year to think that there is something good there. And actually, Xhaka doesn't, when party's there, he doesn't just look like the guy who sits at left back and passes the ball to Tierney. And now there's Erdegaard come into the team since, you know, properly not counting the Man City game since he's been suspended. Like, there's guys to pass to there. There's a bit more centrality on the pitch. And and I, I think, I fully expect Xhaka to play. And I wouldn't be surprised if he plays really well and continues to play well for the next couple of months until his next um, his next scheduled appointment with uh, <laughs> with with the Red Calamity. Mist. Yeah, yeah. But I do, I do think I think it would be a much more not more interesting, but I I think if we if we had someone like Newcastle at home or Palace at home, someone like that next. I th- I wouldn't be surprised if he gave this midfield another look. I just think it because it's the derby. He'll he'll go back to Xhaka. Can I just kind of say that I find myself agreeing Can you with say Tim? And the bot on a positive. <laughs> I find myself agreeing with Tim, but also sighing at the same time, and yeah, same. Th- and that's it. You know, it is what it is, and you could say that party and Xhaka is our one of our most strongest partnerships. But it's I just want to sigh after I say that. You know, and I think it's who we don't get to use, Clive. Because, like you say, if Shaq is coming back in, Saka, Pepe, Smith Rowe, Odegaard, pick the one you don't want to start. And that I think that's where people get frustrated. And I realize this isn't FIFA. You can't just put all the fun attacking players out there. And hell, when we put them all out there, we've created a whopping two two goals the last two games. Of those players, I think Smith Rowe is under the most sort of near term pressure. But should it be Saka though? Should it make Paul? Let 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 me get you in here just real quick. Like if that's the case, if Shaq is going to come back in and one of those four has to come out, if it's purely on performance, I agree that Smith Rowe and Saka are both players you'd have to look at. And I think Saka has. Maybe is the one who could use the the time to to 
get himself back. I, I don't know. I mean, I know criticizing Saka is not not particularly well received by many people for understandable reasons. I just don't think he's at the top of his powers right now. Look, I on the Chaka conversation, um, I guess we're we're. Uh, Clive feels like sighing. I actually feel slightly optimistic that we can have this debate now and that I think Arteta's having this debate now that he's seeing he can go other ways. Now, I, I still think Chak is probably going to play against Spurs away because it's Spurs away. Um, but he's seeing things at the moment. Is, is, isn't it's it at home. the Emirates? It's, it's home. home. Yeah, it's oh, home. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um our so, blog's birthday, no less. So oh, don't screw it up, team. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at least we have, like, it's all projection. But I, I read in his comments, and I look at these performances, and I see the maturity of Sambi game after game. Uh, hope is there that we will be more uh, varied in our approaches to midfield. And that it's not always Chaka and Party if fit on the sheet. Um, it could be P- Party and Odegaard, ESR, Sambi, uh, Maitland Niles, uh, and yeah, we'll see plenty of Chaka. Well, so that does encourage me. But now we have to see how it plays out. I still think uh, Chaka is most likely to start against. I don't. I you know but, call me crazy. I don't think so. I think he's going to go back to this. I think this, what he did against Burnley is what he'll do against Spurs is my instinct. I think this is where he wants to be. I think these are the players he wants to use. And we started the pod talking about, has he found his group? I think he's finding his group. Now that's not to say Shaka doesn't still have a role to play this season. And there will be an AFCON when he'll play a big role. And and before that as well. But I think this is his group now. Um, and, and I think that's how it needs to be. And look, the final point I'll make about this is this isn't the City game or the Chelsea game. Spurs look bad, and and they're beatable, and it's a home game. So now is the time to confirm that this is an actual resurgence. I know these are 1-0 wins against bad teams. Now we get to play the Derby at home against a very, very poor and struggling Spurs team, and this this is where he has to confirm that that there's a renaissance on here, and I hope he will. We've got a midweek game against Wimbledon, a chance to probably get minutes in the legs of like Martinelli and Lacazette and players like that. You know, maybe he'll start a Sambi who's only made sub appearances. I mean, you could see younger players like a Patino. I doubt that. Balogun could use minutes. Be interesting to see what he does. We'll have more on that. We've got our European roundup with Phil Costa coming this week for patrons. Um, by the way. Some people didn't know this. If you've thought about signing up for Patreon, you can have those pods just delivered to your podcast player of choice like any regular pod. So very, very easy to do that. And one last call, please, if you would give to our fundraiser for the Arsenal Foundation. Uh, I know we blew past our goal, and so for a lot of people, that's like, all right, that's it. We did it. Mission accomplished. Let's get as far as we can before this month is over and, and really uh, blow that goal away. would mean a lot. So we'll leave it there. Uh, Clive, I hear you sighing. Did you have something you need to say? You just want to go? No, no, no. Just thinking football, thinking Balogun, thinking midweek game. Are we doing a rewatch this week or, or what? I'd love to rewatch the second half if you're free. I can do it. Come All on. right, we'll we'll plan on that. See, there you go, patrons. Clive, always pushing me to do extra content instead of uh, managing my life and taking care of my children and whatnot, <laughs> which is fine because that's what I want to be doing anyway. Uh, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter, pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Tim's on Twitter, Roberta. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Smith. You should absolutely 100%. Please, please, please block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Terrible follow, awful account. Don't ever go there. But 
We love you. It really means a lot that you're here. Hey, we went through some down times. Now we're going through some up times. And the biggest up time still to come this weekend, beating the piss out of a terrible Spurs team in the Derby. Can't wait. But before that, small matter of Wimbledon in the League Cup. So we'll leave it the way we always do by saying we love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Wimbledon News. 